Hola and Konnichiwa, I'm your host Daniel Gumby Breeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. And of course, I'm talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. The UFC heads to Rio Rancho, New Mexico this weekend for a somewhat meaningful light heavyweight fight between Corey Anderson and Jan Blakovich. But of course, as you guys know who frequent the show, we will not be talking about that or any of the main card matchups, because this is the prelim primer. Now, for those of you who are new to the show, you might be asking yourself, why not talk about the main card? Why not talk about the fights that people care the most about? And the reason is quite simple. You probably have a place where you already go to listen to a podcast that breaks down those fights. You probably also already have some pretty strong feelings about them. But you might not have any strong feelings about these prelim fights. And that's why we're here to help you, because we think there's a lot of money to be won on, on both gambling and daily fantasy sports when it comes to the prelim portion of the card. So, we're going to break down all seven of the prelim fights from UFC Rio Rancho right after I tell you that this episode of the prelim primer is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E, Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiasts. They've got 35 different martial arts that you can log training sessions from. And, and let me tell you something. It is absolutely essential if you want to meet your goals in martial arts. Because because listen to how this works. You're going to go wherever you download apps, download the Maroon Social app. You're going to set up your profile with whatever martial arts you train, where you train, how often you train, and even your instructor. And from there, you can start logging training sessions. And the cool thing about logging training sessions is it tells you week to week, month to month, whether you're training enough or if you're training less than you were doing before. So it gives you a trend set, and you're always going to want to try to beat that trend. So that, along with a bunch of other features that we'll talk about a little bit later on the show, are all of the reasons why you want to check out Maroon Social. Now, let's get to the breakdown of this UFC Rio Rancho card. Once again, I am joined by a savvy co-host. Joining me from MyMMANews.com, Kristen King. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I love doing these little breakdowns. Awesome. So, as you guys know, we start by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about John Dodson versus Nathaniel Wood. So, Dodson is sort of quietly lost three out of his last four fights, although those losses come to Peter Jan, Jimmy Rivera, and Marlon Marias. The only win comes over Pedro Munoz by split decision. Nathaniel Wood, meanwhile, is 3-0 and in the UFC, all by choke finishes over Johnny Eduardo, Andre Ewell, and Jose Quinadez. So, obviously, the momentum is in one direction, but the, the other has fought much stronger opposition. How do you compare those recent fights? Yeah, I think this is obviously a, a tough spot for John Dodson, and it's weird to even say something like that, considering this is a former flyweight title challenger. Um, I just think at the moment, the way that he's fighting his style, I know that he's cleaned up his overall game plan, but it seems to me that he may have some trouble kind of going for a finish and, and, and looking to really put the stamp on a fight. And I think that could be a, a big issue going ahead with these kind of names like Nathaniel Wood, especially at Bantamweight. Um, and of course, like you mentioned, Nathaniel Wood is on the opposite side of the spectrum where he is absolutely surging at this point. And I love a slow buildup for a prospect like this because he wasn't immediately thrown into like the deep waters of Bantamweight. They gave him enough time to work his way up. And you can see what he's done, so you can see how legitimate he is. And I think the John Dodson fight is more so of a coming-out party because if you are unlike yourself and, and me, where we already know how good he is, 
this is for the fans to really understand that Nathaniel Wood could possibly be in the top 10 at the at the latest this year. You know, so it's very, very weird. You kind of have old school versus new school. Yeah, I've loved the fight from a matchmaking standpoint, too. And I, I sort of love it from a stylistic point, too, because John Dodson is not like a fighter that Nathaniel Wood has fought at all, right? Like, he moves in and out a lot. He's really picky about his shots. He, he sort of stays out of the range of people, and when he does rush in, he, like, really rushes in and then gets back out. Do you feel like Nathaniel Wood has the ability to get a hold of him long enough to get him down? You know what? I think so, because Nathaniel Wood is really aggressive when it comes to his output as far as the striking like he will get in your face no matter what and I think the problem with a lot of the former opponents of John Dodson is that they had no idea how to deal with exactly what you just described he's very very hard to get a hold of it's absolutely frustrating and when you do get inside he's definitely lighting you up with a combination or, or two so I think for Nathaniel Wood the aggressiveness is key he he is known to be a, a, a striker and he's obviously a submission specialist as well. But I think if, as long as he pushes the pace against John Dodson, maybe get him up against the fence and potentially get him on the ground, I, I think he has the tools to beat John Dodson. I wouldn't be surprised if he did so. Yeah, I'm sort of leaning that way too. Let's get an official prediction. How do you see this one going down? I'm going to give Nathaniel Wood the knock by way of unanimous decision. All right, and I'm going to take him, and I think he gets the submission. I, I have a good feeling that he's able to put him away here. And that's going to bring us to our second fight, which is Jim Miller versus Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman. Jim Miller, quietly on a two-fight winning streak. He just got done guillotining Clay Guida. Scott Holtzman is 4-1 in his last five fights. He most really recently beat Dong Hyung Ma. Before that, a, a loss to Nick Lentz, which there's certainly no shame in that. But he, here's my question for you. Jim Miller, obviously the type who likes to grapple a little bit. Holtzman, much physically bigger. Where do you see this fight taking place? You know what? I, I wouldn't be surprised if Holtzman did want to keep it standing because obviously uh, Jim Miller has been finished before. And I think he might have a little bit of an advantage over there. But um, if it does start standing, I, I hope that Jim Miller would be able to weather the storm. I, I've definitely seen him in, in tougher fights than the um, Scott Holtzman fight. So if he's able to withstand the knockout power of, of Scott Holtman, Holtzman, then if it could get to the ground, I wouldn't be surprised because, you know, Jim Miller is very slick on the ground and it's very tough to even get a hold of him. He's always looking for submissions. He's always active, especially from the bottom. So Scott Holtzman may want to avoid completely. Uh, going to the ground in any fashion. I know it's easy to do that. If you clip someone, your immediate reaction is to go straight to the ground and try and finish them with ground and pound. But against someone like Jim Miller, who is superior on, uh, in his grappling skills, I don't know if Scott Holtzman wants to take that, uh, that risk. So I, I feel like it could start off standing, but I think if he does make a mistake like rushing Jim Miller, it could be a bad night, especially if it ends up on the ground. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting, too, that Jim Miller's last fight, the, the fight with Clay Guida, it did end in a submission, but it ended in a submission after Jim Miller tagged Clay Guida, right? Like, he, mm -hmm. he knocked him down. Clay Guida dove in for a chance to save himself and got guillotined. So, I mean, like, Jim Miller's hands are, are not worth overlooking, but, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. This plays out on the feet. I'm leaning Holtzman. This one plays out on the ground. I'm leaning Miller. Uh, but it's to that time where I got to ask you for a prediction. Who do you like in this fight and why? 
You know what? I'm going to give the advantage a little bit to Jim Miller, and and it's tough to do that. But I just think the overall experience, and like you said, it's hard to overlook the skills of Jim Miller, especially considering he's such a complete and well-rounded fighter. Um, As easy as it may be to pick Scott Holtzman by way of like TKO or something like that, um, I just feel like Jim Miller has the experience to kind of avoid that exchange and potentially get the fight to the ground because he seems to do that a lot so I'm gonna say Jim Miller and you know what I'm gonna say third round submission I'm feeling feeling wild with my pick with that one all right I'm gonna be the one who takes the easy way out as you just called it and I'm gonna take Scott (laughs) Holtzman by TKO uh I think he's too big to to rip down and and he's looked really good uh with the exception of that Nick Lentz fight and that's gonna do it for the end of the first round we're gonna take a quick break talk to our sponsors and we'll be right back with round number two All right, so in the beginning of the show, I talked to you about how to set up your profiles and that you could log training sessions. It's really cool to log your training sessions and figure out what type of trend that you guys are setting. But the other thing that you can do when you log those training sessions is you can write yourself little notes. And the cool thing about writing little notes is that you can go back to them at any time. Maybe you worked on triangle chokes and maybe you're working on them again and you're messing the same stuff up, you can go back and look and see what your instructor said so that you can make sure you don't make that mistake twice or you can help yourself out retroactively, which is really awesome. And in addition to that, there's a tagging feature where you can tag the term triangle chokes and you can pull up all of the things that you've done in the past with triangle chokes. So it makes it very easy to go back and make sure that whatever you're doing now, you learn from. So that way you don't have to make the same mistake twice and you can you know, sort of help yourself out and teach yourself. So. That's one of the really cool features. I'm going to tell you about another one right after round number two. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Casey Kenny versus Mirab Davashvili. So Casey Kenny, 2-0 in the UFC. He beat Ray Borg in his debut, followed that up by beating Manny Bermudez, both of which were by decision. Mirab Davashvili was 0-2 to start his UFC career, and he's followed that up with a two-fight win streak with decisions over Tarion Ware and Brad Katona. So I feel like this is a fight where Mirab is definitely going to want to work on his wrestling. The guy's got like 27 takedowns in his four UFC fights. How do you rate Casey Kenny's chances to grapple with him? You know what? I think Casey Kenny has some really great wrestling. And especially if he's on the ground, his scrambles are pretty impeccable, too. So while I do agree that Marab definitely should work on his wrestling in this fight, um, it would be remiss to kind of underestimate Casey Kenny on the ground. I mean, that kid is very, very good. He looks to get out of the way a lot. His submission defense is absolutely stellar as well. So I, I think while the wrestling may be in the favor of Marab, I, I could definitely see the grappling playing a big factor in, in Casey Kenny's game if it if it does get to the ground, which I predict it will do. Yeah, and you, you know, you mentioned before when we were talking about Nathaniel Wood about building up a prospect slowly. This, this is a dude who, while I feel like they, they've, they've gone pretty hard at him with, with different opponents, it's all the same style, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. you got Ray Borg, grapple wrestler. You, you got Manny Bermudez, grapple wrestler. You got Mirab da, da, Davalishvili. Oof, that's a tough <laughs> name. Again, really heavy grapple wrestler. And now we're going to see him face the same style three times in a row. It's really difficult. But like you said, that scrambling is just so good. You know, I've always been huge on Ray Borg's scrambling abilities. To watch him get out scrambled by Casey Kenny for three rounds just gives me such immense respect for where Casey Kenny's game is. 
And especially with him being a guy who's a former flyweight too, you know, like he's facing these bantamweights, some really large bantamweights, especially in the case of Manny Bermudez, and he held his own. So, yeah, I mean, I like his ability to scramble. Is there a chance, though, and in, in if there is a chance, that these two grapplers cancel each other out? Who do you like on the feet? Um, You know what? I'm going to go with Casey Kenny. I think that Marab has a little bit of a problem setting up his combinations properly. And, and I think that because he relies so heavily on the wrestling, he doesn't necessarily pay attention to his striking. I mean, obviously, he'll throw a little bit to get something to the ground so he can shoot in for the takedown. But as far as throwing something that actually – is worthwhile he doesn't do uh casey kenny is more so on the opposite side of the spectrum where he will definitely strike with you but he seems to be a little bit more comfortable on the ground so my slight advantage would have to go to casey kenny only because he seems to have a better grasp of his striking yeah i sort of agree with that too it almost seems like all of dvalis philly's uh combinations are like pre-programmed like he's got a couple Mm -hmm. that he goes to no matter what and even when they're not the right ones, he still uses those to try to set up the takedown. So it sounds like we're both leaning the same way on this one, but I'm going to ask you to make it official. Who you got in this one? You know what? I'm going to go Casey Kenny by way of unanimous decision. All right. I'm going to go Casey Kenny. I'm going to be a little higher on the finish here, though. I'm going to go Casey Kenny by submission. Uh, I, I think he can catch Mirab uh, shooting in or, you know, just getting tired somewhere in the third round. Uh, and that's going to bring us to our next fight, which is Macy Chason versus Nico Montano. Chason started 3-0 in the UFC, but followed that up with a loss to Lena Landsberg in her last fight. She's going to be fighting Nico Montano, who you might remember won the inaugural flyweight title and then took two years off, moved up to 135 pounds, and lost her debut to Juliana, uh, Juliana Pena. So obviously, Montano has decided that her home is at 135 what do you think she needs to change from her debut in order to make a permanent and good home at that weight class? You know what? I am not entirely sure what it is that she needs to do. I thought she looked okay against Juliana Pena. Obviously, her striking was there. Um, it just worries me that someone like Macy for her next her next opponent it, it is probably going to be the one to finish Nico. I, I think unfortunately this weight class may prove to be a little bit too big for her especially when you're fighting someone who is literally like a giant like macy is a very big woman you know so i don't know maybe she just needs to adjust to the specific height advantages the reach advantages because that's going to be something she might run into quite often at at women's bantamweight and especially the the power that these women have at 135 and especially against someone like macy she has really, really tough tests ahead of her if she's going to remain in this division. Absolutely, and I'm so glad you mentioned her power in there, too, because I, I actually spoke to Macy Chason this week uh, on the, the Top Turtle podcast, and, and she said that one of the things she did for this fight was she did more strength training. She got bigger and stronger heading into this fight, and I think that that might be one of Nico Montano's biggest weaknesses heading up to this division is the power of some of these 135ers. She basically used her power to get by Roxy and Modafari at 125. And while I love Roxy, she is not the most powerful 125er. And she's not going to be able to do that to all these 135ers who are on that end of the power spectrum. So, yeah, I worry about her fighting somebody like Macy Chason. I think it's a bad matchup for her. What are you thinking here? How do you predict this one going down? Well, to be quite honest, I'm I'm absolutely afraid for Nico now that you said that Macy is stronger and, and bigger. I mean, I didn't think that that could possibly happen, <laughs> but 
I guess it can. And I am definitely worried for Nico. I hate being so, um, what is the word? I, I never want to count anybody out because this is obviously MMA and it is cliche to say that anything can happen, but that is very true. Um, I just don't see any way that Nico Montano can win this fight. I mean, Macy is known for her finishes. I mean, and even if she doesn't get a, a, a finish on in striking, she'll definitely take you down and release some hellacious ground and pounds and that can be a problem you can't get up from underneath macy so whether it's on the feet whether it's on the ground i just see this being a fight for macy so i'm gonna go ahead and say first round tko for macy all right and i'm gonna give nico a little bit more leeway i'm gonna say she makes it into the second round and then is just absolutely tired from being muscled around for for Mm -hmm. seven or eight minutes and, and macy finishes her any way she wants at that point And that's going to do it for the end of the second round. We're going to be right back with three more fights in our third round. All right, guys, in between rounds number one and two, I talked to you a little bit about making notes and tagging the techniques that you are working on. One of the things I want to tell you that you can do here, too, is you can also tag your friends. Because let's face it, we've all had that friend who we've done jujitsu with who's disappeared. They're gone for a month, maybe more than a month, and we really would like to get them back. If they're on Maroon Social, you just hit that tag button, they get the little notification on their phone, and suddenly... They're back in the gym. Well, maybe it's not that easy, but it is easy to make sure that you're nagging them about it. Plus, maybe if a friend moved away, uh, you know, I do a podcast with Shockwave Dave Tremonte, who's moved out to New York City, which is quite a ways away from me. And now we can tag each other in Maroon Social and and let each other know what we're training, how often we're training, and what types of things we're training. So you definitely want to check out the tag feature because it's great not only to nag your friends, but also to keep in touch. Now, back for round number three. And we are back with the third round. We're going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Tim Means versus Daniel Rodriguez. Means, 2-1 and one in his last three. He's coming off that dominant performance over Tiago Alves. Rodriguez, 10-1, making his UFC debut. He won on the Contender Series back in July, but didn't get a contract. Followed that up by picking up a KO in the Smash promotion back in December. So what do you see here from the newcomer that could give Tim Means any kind of issues? Well, you know, we talked about Tim Means the last time I think we did the show together because he was on the card. And we always said that he is a durable veteran. He's very hard to put away. But Daniel Rodriguez hits really, really hard. And his left hand seems to always be readily available. So I think that might be able to give a little bit of a problem to Tim Means. Obviously, he is not a spring chicken anymore. He is getting to that point of his career where retirement certainly may be looming. But he's also one of those fighters that doesn't really care to think about stuff like that. And he's always going to bring the violence. So I think that Daniel Rodriguez definitely has a chance. I'm not saying that it's going to be an easy knockout because we know Tim means is not the easiest to finish at this point. Um, But he could definitely pose some challenges for, for the veteran. So I'm looking forward to that fight, especially if it's going to be some wild, violent striking battle, which I I predict it could be. Yeah. I I sort of agree with you there too, in in that it's going to be a really fun match when it comes to this. The other reason that I kind of like Daniel Rodriguez in this, and it sounds like you were leaning that way as well, is that he has some of that length that Tim Means relies on, right? Like Tim Means took it to Tiago Alves because he had that length and he was using it. Daniel Rodriguez is over six feet at at welterweight too, which is not true of a lot of uh, welterweights. And that's sort of where Tim Means makes his money. So Uh, I guess I'm sort of leaning to Daniel Rodriguez here, too. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to lean with Daniel Rodriguez. Um, I 
could see maybe a second round TKO, but I never want to count out the veteran. I did that recently uh, in the last uh, pay-per-view with Alex Morono and Chaos Williams. I said that Chaos Williams was not going to have a chance whatsoever, and he completely shut me down. So I wouldn't be surprised if a situation like that arise, but I'm going to go ahead and stick with my pick of Daniel Rodriguez, second round TKO. All right, yeah, I'm going to go with the new cover too because I too have been doing really bad on debut fights. I'm going to take Daniel Rodriguez here. I'll take him by late third round TKO. And that's going to bring us to Mark De La Rosa versus Raulon Paiva. So Mark De La Rosa on a two-fight losing streak. He lost to Alex Perez and Kai Kara France. Uh, Paiva also on a two-fight losing streak, also losing to Kaikara France, and also Rogerio Bonterin, who will be fighting later on in the card. Uh, obviously, tough competition for both of these two, fighting top 10 guys in both of their last fights. Uh, which one do you see more positives from in those last two losses? You know what? I'm going to say Rylan Pava a little bit, because I think in the last fight that he had, he was doing absolutely phenomenal, and obviously he got that disgusting cut that ended up stopping the fight. But I thought he looked fine in, in, in the uh, early offset. I, I thought he looked great. The striking was there. I, I was very impressed by what he had. So I would give my a little bit of the advantage, especially in the striking department, to Paiva. I think he also has really good wrestling, and he ha- definitely has the ability to scramble if it does hit the floor. Obviously, De La Rosa is a solid grappler. Uh, he'll probably look to take Paiva down, but he's probably going to eat a couple of punches, and those punches from Paiva are, are super hard, as you can tell from the uh, Rogerio Botton fight. So I'm going to lean a little bit towards Paiva in this fight. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on that one, too. Mark De La Rosa, I love his grappling. Every single time I've seen him grapple, I've been impressed by it. But at the same time, yeah, him setting up his grappling has not been really impressive to me. So I'm leaning Paiva. It sounds like you're leaning Paiva. How do you see him getting it done? Yeah, I'm going to say Paiva maybe by second round TKO as well. I, I just feel like the striking might be a little bit overwhelming uh, for Mark De La Rosa. And I think that if he sticks with his guns and he just completely goes for the wrestling, goes for the grappling, it could be a long night for him or it could be an early night. He could get finished. So I'm just going to go Paiva second round TKO. All right, and I'm going to go with decision. Uh, you know, it's hard to get a finish in the flyweight division, so I'm going to lean that way and also take Paiva. And that brings us to our last fight of the night, which is Devin the Brown Bear Clark versus Daquan Townsend. Clark, one and two in his last three with losses to Ryan Spann and Alexander Rachich, both really tough opponents. He also, in the middle there, beat Darko Stoizek, who's, you know, pretty damn impressive in his own right. Townsend, 0-2 in the UFC. He's lost to Dolce Lugiambula and Devin Lewis, the latter of which was just three weeks ago. That's right, he fought just three weeks ago. So I got to imagine that this was a fight for Daquan Townsend that was sort of the final offer from the UFC. Like, if you want another shot, you got to take this short-notice fight against Devin Clark. I imagine, too, it's also going to make him a lot more aggressive, right? Because he's going in there to impress himself, or to impress the brass. How do you think that plays against somebody like Devin Clark? You know what? I think the thing that works well for Daquan Townsend is that he hits very hard and he is tough to finish. Um, but his cardio is missing. And when he gets into the later rounds, you can definitely see a problem. He just moves away a lot and he doesn't really engage. I mean, he always has that hand to hit you with. But that's about it. We haven't really seen too much of a an actual like game plan from Daquan outside of I'm going to hit you really hard and hopefully one of these lands and knocks you out. So against someone like Devin Clark, who can sometimes be a little bit sloppy, I'm not saying that his striking is the best, but it is a little bit more polished than Daquan's. And I could see that being a problem early on. Um, and he has proven to be a little bit uh, worth the wear in the later rounds. So I think that, you know what, if, if, if it does 
come down to it, I'm going to lean with Devin Clark just a little bit because I think he's a little bit better uh, overall than someone who just has one weapon and one weapon only. And that's unfortunate for Daquan Thompson because it does seem like this might be his last hurrah in the UFC. He might head back to one of the smaller promotions, but that's how the game works, you know. So I, I can definitely see Devin Clark getting something done either early or late. I'm not entirely sure just yet. But I also do worry sometimes because even though he did get caught by those names that you mentioned, like Rachik, those are some solid talent. Daquan Townsend definitely has the ability to knock someone out with that one punch. And we've seen that happen with Devin Clark. So as long as he avoids those those early uh, those early punches from Daquan, I think he should be OK. But you never know with MMA. Yeah. And, and you know what? You, you mentioned it right at the beginning when you said you're worried about Daquan Townsend's gas tank. I was kind of hoping he got a longer camp for a third chance because I like Daquan Townsend. But the fact that like we're coming on a three week layoff for another try when he had gas tank problems in that fight. Like, it's not like he had time to fix his cardio in three weeks. So, like, I'm expecting a very similar-looking performance to what we saw against Bevan Lewis and and, and against a guy like Devin Clark. I just don't see that going well. So, I'm going to go Devin Clark. I I think Townsend's a little bit too tough to take out there, so I'm going to go Clark by decision. Uh, But I'm going to go Clark nevertheless. How do you see him end in the fight? I agree wholeheartedly. I'm going to say Clark by decision. Townsend is definitely too hard to finish, but he probably will gas out. All right. And that's going to do it for all seven fights. We got you all seven fights in right around 15 minutes. So we hope you guys enjoyed it. I want to thank my co-host for this week, Kristen King. You can catch all of her stuff on MyMMANews.com. Kristen, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Can't wait for the next one.